Coaches, what is up? Happy Monday to you on this final Monday of October, a chilly morning here in beautiful Northeast Texas. Coming to you, as always, from Texarkana, Texas, for what is episode number 83 for the Keep Your Pads Down podcast, a podcast where our focus is the defensive line. Hope this episode finds you well, and thank you for checking us out today. Now, it is Halloween week, so hopefully you have your Halloween costume ready to go for Saturday night. You knock off early on Saturday if you work on Saturday so you can go and take your kids trick-or-treating. Hopefully you're getting your, your candy bowl stocked with some legit candy. Okay, you know, stuff like, uh, you know, Reese's Pumpkins, those were always really good. Snickers, Three Musketeers, Milky Ways, you know, basically anything chocolate. That, that's that's what you're looking for. That's going to be a hit. Don't overthink this. Uh, don't be that house that hands out candy corns and Smarties. Okay, uh, and I'm saying that as a parent of kids uh, who is going to be trick-or-treating and who will unabashedly be raiding their candy baskets, their kids' candy baskets after they go to bed. So, so do us dads a solid and make sure your front porch lights are on and your candy bowls are on point. Now, I don't know where you guys are on this, but I've, I've noticed like this growing trend with families. Uh, you know, you get these families who all coordinate their Halloween costumes and, and, and all dress up. Uh, is that like the new standard of societal expectations for families on Halloween? If so, then then man, just go ahead and count us out on that. I mean. My kids love Paw Patrol, but you know I, I ain't trying to walk the streets of Texarkana Saturday night dressed up like Ryder or Mayor Humdinger or something. And you know if you don't get that reference, then you don't have little kids at home, so just just ignore it. But anyway, however you choose to celebrate Halloween, man, enjoy yourself, and don't be the house with lame candy. Uh, okay, enough of that. Let's get on to today's guest. Today we're talking with a really bright young coach in Coach Zach Williams, who is a defensive line coach at Hueytown High School in Hueytown, Alabama. Now, Coach Williams grew up in Lena, Mississippi, and attended South Lake High School before signing with Copiah Lincoln Community College, which if you are a fan of Last Chance U, especially the first season, then you've probably heard of that school. I and mean, we actually get into that uh, a little bit in today's episode. Uh, anyway, Coach Williams moved on from there and signed with the University of Alabama Birmingham, where he spent three seasons playing for the Blazers and helping UAB to a Conference USA championship while he was there. Once his career wrapped up at UAB, Coach Williams briefly GA'd for the Blazers before taking the job at Hueytown, where he is in his second season coaching the D-line for the Golden Gophers. Today, Coach Williams and I talk about his days as a college football player, his thoughts on junior college football, what he's learned as a young coach, and then training defensive linemen in both pass rush and stopping the run. A lot of great stuff in this one, so we're going to jump right into it. Here is Coach Zach Williams on episode number 83 of KYPD. Coach Williams, well, I'm glad we could make this happen. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, man, appreciate you bringing me on, Coach. It's an honor, man. Absolutely. Well, I know you're fired up to be here, and I'm fired up to have you on to be talking with you today. So, you know, let's dive right into this thing. We have a little bit of a connection. You're from Mississippi originally. I spent some time uh, early on in my coaching career in in the state of Mississippi and have a a really uh, deep love for that state. Uh, So just fill us in on how now you're coaching in Hueytown, Alabama. So fill us in just on how you got there and your football journey up to this point. Yeah, 
Okay, well, most people don't know. Um, well, I was born, actually born in Birmingham, um, so I'm actually living, I guess you would say, most people say their hometown. Um, I was born here in St. Mary's Hospital. But before I turned one, um, my mom moved back to her hometown, and that's where her and my dad uh, bought a house and began living, which is Lena, Mississippi. Uh, it's a little small country. I don't even say town, man. It's really a community. Uh, it's about 200 people, man. Uh, that's about it. Everybody's family, you, you might as well say. Um, and that's kind of where I grew up, man. I grew up, I'm, a, I'm a country boy, man. I'm not from the city. Uh, like I said, I was born in Birmingham, but I didn't get to really experience the city, the city life. Uh, I had deer fields and hunting behind my house and four-wheeler rides. So that's kind of my upbringing. Um, so like I said, I'm from Lena, Mississippi. That's where I grew up. Played PB ball when I was eight. So my football career kind of started when I was eight years old. Uh, my dad just asked me one day, hey, son, you think you might want to play football? Kind of rewind. My dad played a little bit of junior high, a little JV ball, but when he got to high school, uh, and my dad's a big guy, man. He's about 6'5", about 350 right now, at least. Uh, so he's a huge guy, and they always wanted to play football, man, but his, his heart just wasn't in. Uh, so he never forced it on me. Uh, like I said, he introduced me when I was like seven. He asked me, like, man, make sure you, you're able to play football. And they were starting up a new league in a close by town that you're kind of familiar with, Carthage, Mississippi. And he just asked me, did I want to play? And I said, yeah, I'll give it a try. My first year was kind of rough because I was eight years old, but with the weight I was there, I had to play up. So I always played like an age of two group up, and um, it was just rough on me. But after that, I think it, it finally got to click. Football was something I really liked because uh, I was an aggressive kid. Uh, so it's something that kind of messed with me real, real good. And from then, I went to high school at Lee County High School. It was in another small country town, man, Walnut Grove, Mississippi. Played four years there. Went on to sign a junior college scholarship to um, Colin. We can kind of talk about that later on. Uh, but I played two years at Colin and then went on to play at UAB GA uh, for about six six months or so, six or seven months after my final season of eligibility and I settled the drive at Hewittown, and now I'm currently in my second year coaching as a uh, D-line coach here. Okay, well, let's we got it. You mentioned you mentioned Colin and and anybody. You know, a couple weeks ago we had on uh, the D line coach from Laney College, uh, who's on this mm-hmm. from from this current season of Last Chance U. But well, you know, if anybody followed the show when it when it was featuring you know, East Mississippi, then they know about Colin and and the rivalry there between Colin and East Mississippi. Well, you, we didn't really talk For about sure. this in our in our conversation leading up to this to this uh, <laughs> to this podcast. So I'm asking you this kind of cold. I don't. I really don't know the answer uh were you in were you involved in that game or i think that there was y'all upset those guys at some point they had a big winning streak going on was that were you in that game i think that was season one maybe so it was season one man i don't man i don't bring it up that much uh it's ironically man my kids we were at practice yesterday uh today's Wednesday. we was at practice monday and one of our former players went to go play on the die city for coach Kern, who you who you had on the show before. Oh, yeah. He actually yep. recruited me out he actually recruited me out of high school. I mean not high school but junior college. And they were like, Coach, why do kids go junior junior college and we got to talking about that and they were like, Well you on last chance you and I kinda of just dropped my head and I'm like, Yeah, I was I was like, Coach, you had bad grades, you had this, you had that I'm like, Nah. It was kinda of what Coach Kern kinda of touched on in his interview is not all kids go junior college because of bad grades. Me, it was just I didn't have a lot of looks coming from a small town, but I actually was on that season one. Uh, it might be, I think it's episode two, if I'm not mistaken. We played in the second game of the year, 
rewind a little bit more before the, the season went to East Mississippi. My freshman year, we traveled to them the second game of the year, and they were ranked number one. We were ranked number three in the nation, and that might have been the biggest game I had played up until that point in my career. That was my first career start. I didn't start my first game this season, the second game of the year. That Sunday before we prepped for them, coach said, hey, you're starting this week. That whole week, I was a nervous wreck. So that game, we lost, and you know how that went. That season for them, Chad Kelly and DJ Jones and all those guys that are in the league, man, that team was loaded. Uh, so coming back into my sophomore year, that game had a lot of hype behind it. It had John Franklin, uh, Ronald Ollie, which is one of my one of my friends, man. So that game had a lot of anticipation behind it. And it was, I think we took I took that game personally. Took it kind of personal, man. And we like you said, we upset it. We ended up upsetting them on the last drive. Um, they were in the red zone. And what, my boy Capri, we called him Capri. He called an interception in overtime to seal the deal, man. We we knocked them off and entered the twenty-six game winning streak. Uh was kind of ironic because everybody kept talking about the streak, the streak, the streak. And I did interviews with like GQ magazine and ESPN, but none of that never made it to the <laughs> to the last chance you episode, simply because I think, you know, people were like, oh, they're going to beat them. Um, the street's going to stay alive. But, man, that was one of my my favorite moments as a player, really, just upsetting them. And that was a special season and a, and a bond that I did it with those guys for two years I was at Cayenne, man. So that was pretty special. Yeah, we've talked about it a little bit on this podcast before because we have had some some junior college guys and some guys with ties to uh, Mississippi JUCO ball and and for those who aren't from that area, uh, you know, maybe guys living in like Kansas. Uh, I know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there, there's some other states that are that are really well known for their junior college ball, but man, Mississippi junior college football is a big deal. And no uh, you know, I, I've talked about this before, how we would, uh, as a coaching staff, you know, in Mississippi, you play your sub-varsity games usually on Tuesday nights. So Thursday nights, uh, that's for when everybody goes mm-hmm. and watch JUCO ball. And we would go and watch Northwest or we'd go and watch Northeast uh, or, or Itawamba, you know, those those, those right. guys. And, and it, it was always it was always great atmosphere and, and, and just really fun because all the kids, most of the kids were, were, were local kids, you know. Uh, so no you, you either coached the kids or you coached against them and now they were either playing together or playing against each other. And, and it was it, it is really a big deal, and it's a special thing to be a part of for sure. Yeah, no doubt, man. Like, most people, like you said, most people don't know about junior college football. And I'm coaching here in Alabama, and there's plenty, when I mean plenty, there's plenty of junior college or community college here, but no football program. The big thing here in Alabama is uh, basketball players and baseball players get a lot of opportunity to go the JUCO route and then get to pursue their, their career further to four-year university. And uh, me and one of the assistant coaches on my staff were talking about this actually a few weeks ago, just like, man, all this talent, it's plenty of talent in Mississippi, uh, but it's, it's even more talent here in Alabama because it's a little bit bigger, uh, a little bit more spread out. And I was like, man, it would be wild to see Alabama kind of try to use the same format as Mississippi and I think that could that could possibly be something that could be great, especially for these kids. Because kids I coach, some of them, you know how Mississippi goes, you only get so many scholarships for in-state and out. Well, my bad, in-state and out-of-state players. I think it's right. eight out-of-state scholarships. Right. So a lot of kids might be, you know, might go to Newtown. So it takes about two hours to get to East Central Community College, which was the community college that was in that that recruited my area or where my high school was, about thirty minutes away. Those kids could possibly go there and play, but the coach is like, hey, he's not a D1 bounce back. 
he's not six five, two eighty, or had D one offers and didn't qualify because I can't take him. Um, because I can find that guy here in Mississippi. Yeah. So they just kind of they just kind of shine the light on the on the kids here in Alabama. I think they're kind of getting a short end of stick. And I'm Mississippi till I die. Now, I have a great love for Mississippi, man. Uh, people joke on me all the time, like, man, Zach, you always talking about Mississippi this, Mississippi that, man. But I have a deep love because I I think you can kind of tell from when you were when you were coaching there, like it's just different. It's a different mindset in Mississippi. Kids are different. Uh, just football is just something that brings everybody together, especially those small towns. Everybody. Cutting the lights out on Friday and going to the game, you know, and yeah. I, I pride that, especially yeah. during my high school career, man. And all, even on through JUCO, I went to Colin, which is in Western Mississippi, and all it has is one stoplight and a Dollar General, you yeah. know. Um, yep. So it's a small town, uh, um, man. Like the local church runs the concession stands, so that's how family oriented and small and connected it is, you know. So yeah. that's just kind of um, that's just kind of the 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 perspective that, you know, junior colleges get, man, it's a lot of talent, but it's a lot of kids that get overlooked and just don't get the opportunity. So, yeah, when anyone ever, whenever I'm talking to someone, you know, we, we start talking about, uh, you know, Mississippi football or just, you know, what it's like coaching there. You know, I always talk about how I think that, and, and I'd be interested to hear your opinion on this, um, but I always talk about how, you know, junior college football is an awesome thing for the state of Mississippi, but it's also can be a kind of a dangerous thing or, a, or can be a bad thing because you and I know you could you could attest to this, but there's so many guys that come out of the state of Mississippi, like a, a ton of great football players that you never hear of because they get caught up. They go to Juco and they just don't ever get it together. Right. Like they kind of slip no through the cracks and then and then, you know, after a year or two, they don't qualify. They don't get out. And and so yeah. that's that's the, the the shame of it is because there's some really talented dudes that you never hear of because of that. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you on that. And anybody that has played a down of junior college football will I think agree with you hundred percent. Just kinda of looking on my situation. Came out of high school, I had swag offers like Jackson State, Mississippi Valley, Alcorn. And then I had smaller schools like Bell Haven or Delta State or so. In my head, I'm thinking I just kind of had to have a sit down and prayed about it. You know, I could have easily went to Jackson State or Alcorn and played there four years and been close to home. Um, but I kind of had in my mind, in my mind, like I wanted to do something different. Coming from a town where nobody really even went to college, it was kind of working, coming uh, straight out of high school. Uh, in my mind, I was like, I want to go to junior college route. The number one thing. Um, a lot of my mentors and people I looked up to when I asked them, like, hey, what do you think I should do? Should I go to the four-year? Should I go two-year route? The number one thing that came up about the two-year route is, yeah, we know you're going to handle your grades. I graduated number one in my class. So school was a priority for me. My mom made it a priority in, in my in our household. Uh, they was like, what did you get hurt? All right, so fast forward. I played two years at junior college. I qualified high school. I get, like, a South Alabama offer and Louisville offer the spring going into my sophomore year. And I almost left. I was, I was pretty. I pretty much had decided I wasn't going back to my sophomore year. I was going to South Alabama to play down there. And something, something came up with a scholarship. It was me and a high school guy, and the guy had already signed. Uh, so they had to under his scholarship. So my scholarship was still still with them. It was like we just come get you in December when you graduate. So I was sold on going to South Alabama. We played that sophomore year. We beat Eastern Mississippi. I'm like, man. I'm, I'm thankful that I stayed. I was able to be a part of history and all that. 
But I didn't know that I actually tore my knee my first game against Itawamba, the game before East Mississippi. Tore my meniscus, my lateral meniscus, slight tear. Uh, I had caught an interception, tried to make a, a move on the running back that was trying to tackle me and tore my meniscus, my lateral meniscus. Go, you know, Juco's nine games, we get to like game six, and my knee is just killing me, killing me. And these coaches, that's that's in the middle of the season, so that's when all these bigger schools like uh, Kirby Smart called me up to the game, and, and Bo Davis, the D-line coach there at Alabama, uh, had Kentucky, Vanderbilt, all these all these schools looking at my transcript, like, see, as a 3.8 student, he's, he's balling out his first team all state in Mississippi, like, but why is he not playing? They find out about my injury, and to this day, I don't regret it, uh, but I do say that's the downfall of going the two-year route. It's a possibility of getting hurt, a possibility of kind of losing some of those offers, and I did kind of lose some interest and a few offers off of just injury. Um, and that's kind of how I ended up at UAB. Um, and I can kind of branch into that story. Now, um, it was just my knee was hurt. I had to have surgery. UAB was just coming back from their cancellation of the season after the 14th season. Uh, they had beat Southern Miss in a big rival game. Everybody knows that's Southern Miss's biggest rival is UAB. They beat them, got, went 6-6, six and six, didn't make a bowl game. And then next week, they canceled the whole program. Uh, and that was in 2014. Fast forward, UAB was like one of my top three offers. They called me like two weeks before signing day. It was like, man, have you signed anywhere or have you committed anywhere? And I, I just know it was a blessing from God, man. They, they say your offer still stands. You can come here. I told them about my knee injury. They were like the only school besides Coach Coon. And that's why I had so much respect for Coach Coon when he was at CMO, uh, they were the, those, those were my two finalists. It was either go to Southeast Missouri and play D1 FCS or skin out a year and play Conference USA ball. And no disrespect to Coach Coon, he had a great staff. They had some non-win seasons, man. They were really balling. I also had a teammate that went to go, went to go play for Coach Coon. Um, I just said, man, I need that year off to re, uh, rehab my knee. Um, and, and UAB was just a blessing in the skies, man. Uh, so that's that's a, I know I kind of got off subject, but that's just kind of how I ended up at UAB off of a knee injury, uh, which is something that's uncontrolled when injuries are part of football. So, so I'm curious now. Uh, you know, obviously hindsight's 2020. You look back on on your situation and say, you know, if someone were to ask you, well, would you do it all again? Would you do it the same? And but what I'm really interested in now is now that you're a coach and you have kids kind of going through the same mm-hmm. recruiting process. You know, if you had a kid who was kind of in this in, in, in your same situation, who was weighing his options of maybe looking at at, at junior college or, or going, uh, you know, maybe at a, at a lesser D one or maybe even a Division two school, you know, what would you tell them? What advice would you give them to a kid who's kind of in your similar situation? Well, with, with me having played the junior college level, the D one FBS level, and then. I, Fortunate enough, the GA for a little second, so I got to see the coach, some of the coaching side of the college, and then now high school. Uh, I tell people, uh, like you said, the JUCOs in California, uh, maybe like one in New York, one in Florida. Mississippi has fourteen. Um, uh, Georgia has one. I think Georgia, Georgia military. Texas has a few. Kansas and Iowa. Uh, I think I might be missing out a few states up north, but like. It's so hard to to get a look there. So my biggest advice for a kid that's trying to decide what should I do, if you're struggling in school, 
I would suggest junior college. Um, if you're a promising athlete and you have those D1 offers, the biggest thing I tell my kids, don't be don't be afraid to register. A lot of kids now are afraid to go in that first year and kind of learn. And I kind of tell them, man, come from a school, a small school like me, I didn't even have a position coach. You know, we might have, I don't call it a position coach. We had a guy that, that helped with the D-line, O-line at the same time. So there was no such thing as an endo in our practice schedule. And I went to a 2 way school, granted that, but um, I didn't have true coaching until I got to Colin. And I played the end in high school, and I got to Colin and said, man, you're a pass rusher. And I started out the summer at Sam Backer. We played a 3-3 stack. came out to Sam Backer, and I moved to middle. So I, I had won a whole new position. So I would say don't just set your goals on the two-year route. But I said, if you can go the four-year route and you're willing to sit there and learn more football, because that's the biggest thing, the biggest transition from high school to college is knowing ball. I learned the most ball uh, probably my first two years under my defense coordinator, Otis Jefferson, man. He he actually showed me how to watch film. I had never had a real film session um, until I got to junior college. I had never got fussed at that I was always the guy making a play, so coach never fussed at me. Uh, so he held me accountable. And lastly, I would say, if you're considering junior college route, you can't be fun at heart. Like, it's a grind. Even in Mississippi where your school is paid for, books are paid for, um, uh, your, 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 your dorm, your living situation is taken care of. So it, it's not as bad as schools maybe like in Cali or other states, uh, but it's definitely a grind because it's a dog-eat-dog dog world. You're brought in with these kids, and you might the coach might tell you your in-home visit like, "Hey, we're bringing in three linebackers. You guys are going to compete." It might be a week before the season start, and they bring in the star linebackers for Georgia last week that got kicked off because of some um, team issues or team violations. And now you're like, "I'm sitting behind a guy that was playing in maybe the Under Armour American game, for example, or something like that." Yeah. Uh, so it's a big transition. It's some it's some curveballs that can be thrown at you. The last thing I had teammates get cut. The week before the season over with. But they were running with the ones and twos all summer. You know, so like that dream kind of word, it's a doggy dog word, it's different. So that's why if you have the opportunity to go to a four year, and it doesn't have to be D1, it could be D2. A lot of people downplay D2 in smaller schools. Um, I say go. Use that first year as a learning year if you're not ready. Maybe a learning year, get your body up to, up to par to compete um, at that level. Um, just, just different things, different factors like that. I think play into it. Uh, but definitely don't be afraid uh, to just, like I said, learn ball, prepare your body, get ready for that next level, and being able to produce at a high level, uh, whatever level you need to try to go play at. Yeah, I, I think that's really good advice, and and you know, I think that's a great way of putting it. You know, because I think sometimes, and I and I've run into this. You know, who have kids who, and especially when I was in Mississippi, who you know, let's say a kid's got an offer from Delta, kind of like your similar situation. A kid gets mm-hmm. an offer from Delta State, maybe Jackson State, maybe like a, maybe even like a, a you know, I don't know, Central Arkansas, some some places right. like that. And and, and they just kind of go, well, I'm just going to go. It's not a it's not a big time D1 offer, so I'm just going to go junior college. And that mm-hmm. was always a little scary for me because. You know, like just like you said, junior college, it's not a bunch of scrubs. I mean, it's some grown men uh, hey, at those it's, places. It's far from that. Far from yeah. And, and so to me, it, it, it's just kind of like, man, you're, it's kind of like a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. Like, you, 
but those are some really good schools and 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 don't just you know count them out because you know they're not playing on ESPN on Saturdays you know um so that's that's I think that's really great advice that you would give there so let's move forward and just talk about you as a coach you're in your second year as a coach um, we've all kind of, uh, you know, taken our lumps as coaches, those of us who've been in it for a little while. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, as you now, you know, you're two years in, what's been the most humbling lesson you've had to learn so far as a young coach? Man, uh, I'm a pretty humble person overall. Uh, that's one thing I kind of pride myself in, um, just even dating back to high school. I've always been a humble guy. I've always been a guy that, like, that, that listened and never thought too much of itself. Um, but I would say my most humbling lesson learned was now I was a year before, but now I'm I'm a position coach. So now my name is on that position, specifically defensive line. And the, and the, the school that I'm at now, the head coach was the D-line coach uh, for the previous year. So, you know, he still has a heart for it. If he, if he doesn't come to anybody else's window session, he's coming to my defensive line window session just to see what I'm teaching my guys. Um, and I can remember one time, man, my guys weren't – they weren't uh, – they weren't – we were switching from different uh, drills to drills. And, and at UAB, I'm used to tempo. You know, we, we're used to running from this – we might do uh change the direction here, and we might go to the two man or the five man. So we were running everywhere we were going, and my guys were just dragging that day. They were dragging that day, and I was getting on to him, man. He just stopped practice, uh, our little endo session, our little part of endo session, and got on to me, and it was humbling because that was my first time getting pushed, uh, you know, for something I wasn't doing, but my guys weren't doing. And I think that's the biggest transition I've had to make from a player to a coach because I knew what type of player I was. Uh, I prided myself and my teammates at UAB and everywhere I played, we prided ourselves on playing fast, moving fast on the field, giving all you got every play. And that that wasn't such the case when I first got there with those defensive linemen. Uh, we slowly had to progress and build that mindset. So just to get chewed out in front of my players, that was probably the most humbling experience because now they're looking at, they look at each other like, dang, we just got coached. Uh, first that, you know, and I coach, he's an old school guy, and I don't take it to heart. I love him. I love Coach Patterson. He says the most, you know, he says stuff off the wall, and the kids are looking at each other like, dang, he just said it to Coach Williams. And like I said, I don't take it to heart because he's coaching. He's the head coach. His name is on the program. But I would say that's the most humbling experience or lesson I've learned uh, was just getting frustrated in front of my guys. And now I have to, you know, kind of regroup and just kind of get them back on the right track and, and, show, and show them why. You know, I got frustrated because I wasn't pushing them to the limit they should have been getting pushed to. Yeah, that's uh, that's never fun as a young coach. And as you're telling that story, I'm thinking of a few stories uh, that pop into my mind. Um, you know, uh, the similar situations. Um, you know, especially when you're young. You know, you yell way too much, and you know way too little football uh, most of the time. At least that's how it was for me, anyway. You know, yell. I, I yelled a whole lot. And I really didn't know that much about football. And, and so I had to have mm-hmm. some, you know, I took some conversations from some older coaches, uh, you know, that, to kind of get me to realize that and understand that. So, um, you know, now that, that you're talking about, you know, you talked about, you know, coaching D-line and you're coaching the head coach's old position. And that can be a little bit intimidating. You know, what's something you've picked up concerning D-line play 
that changed your mind about how you might have been coaching things. So, like, you know, you kind of get into coaching a position. And I remember when I first started coaching D-line, like, what did I do? Well, I thought about everything that we did in college, right? And, like, I did some of those drills. And then you kind of, you know, you pick some other things up here and there. But mainly, you don't really have a whole lot of, you know, experience to draw from. So you're just kind of doing what you think is good and what you think works. And then sometimes, mm-hmm. you you know, you figure out, maybe well, maybe I should be doing things other way. So, you know, what's something – I'll ask that again. What's something you've picked up concerning D-line play that, that you've changed uh, just in your short time as a coach? Uh, I would say, man, when I first took the job in July, I got him like a week or a week or maybe two weeks before um, fall camp started. And I remember my nerves were was bad, not because I didn't know football. And I, I, I kinda of thought I knew a little bit of football, but now I'm thinking like, what did we do in in Indo Indo? You know, like what what did we do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and so on and so forth. And it kinda of, you know, I I kinda of had a little respect, you know, for our coaches just kinda of putting that together. It's not easy to sound. You would think you would know, oh, we're gonna do this drill on Monday, Tuesday. Man, do this on Wednesday, Thursday, and walk through on Friday, play on Saturday as far as the college goes. But I know my biggest concern was, okay, how am I going to organize this endo session to be effective uh, and to help them translate it from the field? Uh, I know something I picked up from Coach Patterson was just being simple. I feel like when I first got the job, I was especially all of last year, maybe half of last year or so, and and it it gradually got better into this year. And rolling over into this year, um, just being simple, not really being too complex with the with the drills and trying to do stuff that's on like Instagram and Twitter and all the and all the footwork. Like you might have one kid that can do that. Yeah. I mean, in my situation, yeah. that's kind of how it is. Yeah, I, I had one kid that had feet like and Um, he's playing for the Naval Academy now. Um, he was an undersized guy just like him, so like he was the only one that could do it. So I'm out there trying to say, hey, do this, do this, do that. And they're looking at me like, Coach, I'm trying. And I'm a perfectionist. Um, I like everything to be perfect, but that's not always the case. Um, so I think something I picked up from Coach Patterson, who's an older guy, 20-plus um, years of coaching. And then just some of my uh, previous coaches or older coaches um, that are in the Birmingham area that I build connections with uh, through clinics and things like that. Just be simple, and I, I find that to be way more effective. And then you can just do progressions. Start with one step, two step, three step, and I, and you'll see the picture slowly or the puzzle slowly come together. And I think I, I think my kids, my kids uh, especially, learn better with just progressions and, and taking it step by step. Coach, I think that's a really, really wise answer. Uh, you know, talking about just keeping things simple, starting slow. You know, again, it's it's easy to get caught up and want to do all this stuff and and all this stuff that looks good. I mean, I think back on some of the drills that I did my first couple of years coaching. And I just kind of shudder to think, you know, man, what what were we doing? What was I thinking? No, no doubt, no doubt. And uh, <laughs> and and so I think you're you're definitely right. I mean, just keeping it simple. Take it, you know, use the low and slow method when, when you're when you're when you're when you're uh, coaching those guys up and just you know, kind of spoon feed them along a little bit uh, as you kind of get comfortable with what you're doing as well. So that kind of leads in my next question. You know, what's the best way for young coaches, in your opinion, to, to just sort of develop their their coaching progressions or their drill libraries or like like film study habits, you know, just things like that when they're just starting out? I say, don't be afraid to reach out. Um, there's so many resources out here, whether it's Twitter, um, 
you might be in, trying to uh, inbox a coach that's in California or Texas. You don't even know anything about, but you saw something that he posted that in, that intrigued you, and you was like, man, I just want to know why. Why? Why was he doing this? Uh, how is it helping his players? I said, like I said, don't be afraid to reach out. Um, clinics. Uh, I, I've only been able to go to one clinic. We had a lot of clinics to go to this spring, but of course, COVID kind of altered uh, that schedule, man. But the one clinic we did, we did get to go to. Um, it was with all the Alabama schools, the high schools, and, and some of the college got to hear uh, Malzahn and Saban um, speak, and um, some of the DCs at those schools and different position coaches at those different schools. Um, it's just mind blowing, like how simple it is, but also how complex it is as far as defense goes. Um, I learned so much in those 20, 30 minute, uh, you know, talk talks or uh, uh, conversations with them, man. So I, I would say just, just, just being able to reach out, like I said, going to clinics um, and visiting different schools. I know us as a staff at Hewittown, we were planning on visiting different colleges. Also, um, some of the premier schools here in Alabama, uh, for example, like Thompson and Broadwood, these are schools that have proven to build a program, um, not just to put a football team out on the field every year. They're putting a program on the field uh, have proven um, to be successful in what they do. Uh, in my case, on the defensive side of the ball. So I would say just for young coaches, don't be afraid. Don't think you know too much. Because um, I know at some point I might think, like, I know how to do this. I know how to play this technique. I know how to teach this technique. Um but just eye-opening, just reaching out. Like I said, I started listening to your podcast months ago, and I've learned so much on different ways to play different techniques and different ways to change the terminology and make it simpler for, for my guys. Uh, I think, especially on the high school level, kids don't know as much football as they think they know. Just like you said earlier, as a young coach, you don't know as much football as you know. Kids most definitely don't know as much coach, football say, as you say know. Say that you again. Come in Say that again for those guys in the back. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, as a, like you said, as a, as a young coach, you think you might know football, but you really don't. And like you said, again, on the high school level, players really don't know football. They think they know. Um, I know it was eye-opening for me in junior college. That was the first time I had to get on the board and actually draw the full defense. Hey, what is the backside safety doing? What is the corner doing in this situation? Number two goes out and number one goes vertical. Granted, I had to play. I played the linebacker position. Um, some might, so coach expected me to know that, and I think that was one of the biggest blessings uh, through my career was having to play that mic position and actually having to know what everybody's doing. As far as defensive line, you might, you know, you get a call from the sideline, you looking for a front. If I got some type of stunt uh, or blitz is coming, make sure I'm in my correct gap and I'm going to play football. I'm not really worried about we playing cover three, cover four, you know, behind me. Um, so I think that was the biggest blessing on 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 my end. But just learn, like just, like I said, just learning football, um, not being afraid to ask questions about why why people are doing that. And it's a lot of different ways to do a lot of a lot of things, and I don't think no way is the right way. I think you just gotta kind of find the best way uh, for the group of guys that you're trying to coach. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think you know reaching out and and looking for ways to learn and and improve yourself. Like I think that never stops, right? And I, I know you would agree with that. Uh, and, and I think it's especially important as a young coach to, as you're trying to establish, you know, what you're going to be and, and, and you know, how, how you're going to coach things up. And, and, and I think also, too, kind of like what you're talking about and what we're talking about here is like 
Um, you know, just because you're doing something one way, you know, this year doesn't mean that's going to, ha- that means that that's how you're going to do it for the rest of your career. Like always be willing to, to challenge yourself and look at things like, well, this is how I did it last year, but is there a better way? You know, and I think we can kind of, no as we get older, and I think that's a, that's an advantage younger coaches have old, over older coaches is they, they can't say, well, this is how I've always done it. You know, they're, they're uh, <laughs> open to new things and, and which kind of leads me to this, you know, I think that it's great. You know, hopefully one day if if I'm a head coach, um, I, I want to have a bunch of young coaches on staff, and I, and I just think that you know, yes, there are a lot of growing pains that come with having young coaches, and there's some things you gotta you gotta teach them. And but I th- I just think that uh, it's it's really important for a lot of things. But one of the maybe most important things is their ability to to connect with and relate to players. And so I'm just curious, you know, what advice would you give to to older coaches about how to connect with uh, and, and coach? players today uh, i would say on any level <laughs> whether it's the little league middle school high school college i would say be a player's coach and that's kind of my my way of looking at it my opinion um just kind of and i kind of base that answer off of my career um i feel like some coaches came into my life uh, for the right reasons, and they're still in my life for the right reasons because they actually care about me as a person first and then a player. Yeah, it's, all a, it's, it's about football ultimately. That's why I'm there to play. Uh, but those coaches that actually checked on me and asked how my mom was doing, my family, you know, and not just while I was playing for them years later. Every time they called me a text, like, how is your mom doing? Things like that. I think that goes a long way. Especially my eyes have been open because all I've known – College ball, college ball, college ball, and being a position coach now and having guys that kind of look, you know, guys that actually do look up to you and and seeing, you know, kind of based on where you coach at, um, you have some kids that just really don't have good home situations. Um, and you can be out there practicing just dog cussing this kid out or fussing at him, getting on, getting on to him, and you, you don't even know that, you know, he's worried about what he's going to eat tonight. Or his mom and dad are fussing, and we—I've had that, and it was eye-opening when it first happened to me because I wasn't used to that. I had a good household, I had a good home, good parent life, and that's just one example. But that goes back, like I said, just being a player's coach and actually getting to know your players, know their situation, know how they respond to um, different types of a discipline, different types of coaching. Some some players like that, I can scream all I want to. They're gonna say yes, sir, and they're gonna give me all they got the next play. I got some if I, if I scream at them or holler at them. Uh, they shut down. So I quickly learned, like, I can't coach every player the same way. I was a guy you could my, – my coaches screamed at me all the time. Uh, when I got to college, it never bothered me. It may, actually made me go harder. Because, like I said, I was a professionalist. But every kid is not like that. Every player you come in contact with is not like that. So I would say for older coaches, and I know most older coaches, I call it, most people refer to them as old school type of coaches. <laughs> You know, they're, they're kind of hardcore. The new age of kids, and I say new age of kids, I'm only 24. I'm only, what, six years removed from uh, high school because I graduated in 14. But the kids are actually different. And it sounds funny coming from me being so young, but the kids and this generation is different. The mentality is different. Uh, you have to coach different. They don't take that, that hard love and that hard coaching and fame. Not all of them. A handful will, but not all of them. And so I said, majority is a little different. So I think for older coaches, it's hard for them to adapt to that. Um, so I feel like as an old coach, 
or from a young coach going to uh, speaking to an old coach, I would just say be a players coach, be open, listen more, and I think it will pay you on the back end. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know there may be some guys listening that when you say the term players coach they cringe a little bit but but I, I totally get what you're saying I think the the term players coach has kind of gotten a bad rap like when people say he's a yeah, players no coach like they, they, they're insinuating maybe that that they let the kids walk all over them and they're mm-hmm. you know out there like hey guys whatever you want to do is cool you know get here whenever and and that's not what you're talking about and, and but I, I no think doubt. what you're talking about is you know, being about the players and building relationships with them and getting in there and finding out what's going on with them beyond just, hey, you're here at practice, okay, let's go, uh, or you're late, you know, that's, you know, 50 up-downs. I'm not even going to ask any questions about why you were late or what's going on. No doubt. Uh, I, 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 and I know that's what you're what you meaning there, and I think you're exactly right. Um, and, and, you know, you, you talked about kids today, and this is something that, that I'm also I'm still having to learn because now that I'm, I'm I'm also in addition to coaching high school, coaching middle school, and that's a that's a whole new animal. Uh, but yeah. I, I think that that you know kids will take hard coaching, but that relationship has to be built first. Like it's hard to it, get it out does. there and and you know wear a kid out that you don't know. So I think you got to spend a lot of time building that relationship up with those kids and and building some trust there. And then once you have that established, you know then then you can push them as hard as you want. No doubt. I think trust is, is the key word that you just said. And don't get me wrong, I'm an intense guy. I play with a lot of emotion. Um, I coach with a lot of emotion. Um, but like you said, you have to build that trust up. And that's one of another, that was another uh, lesson I had to learn uh, as a young coach. Like you said, you just can't come out fussing at them and they don't even know you. They barely know your name. You know, you barely know their name. Uh, so you're out there coaching them hard and it might uh, it might hurt the relationship before you can even build it, you know? Yeah. So that's the biggest thing, just trying to build a relationship with the players first. And then, like I said, players coach gets a bad rep, but like you said, you kind of cleared it up for everybody. Just just getting to know them beyond football. Don't get don't get me wrong. I, if a kid's late, I might not jump down their throat, but they already know, hey, coach, because we already know I got 50 up down for practice. You know, it's, un- it's understood now because that's what I've shown to them. I made examples, so they know, you know, the process to to them doing wrong and and how I go about it. Like I said, I know the players that I can kind of fuss at a little bit more, and the ones I have to kind of lay back off of. Um, I know Coach Taj, he's joking me all the time. He's like, man, I know you're young. I know you want to be their friend, and and I'm a laid back guy. I'm a cool guy. I'm easy to get along with. And I, I kind of vibe with them or the the kids on our team uh, more than some other coaches because I'm. I'm a few years removed from them, um, and kind of close in age, so I can kind of vibe with them on different stuff. But I had to let them know that I'm your coach first. Coach first, I do anything for you. I'm your coach first, but not your friend. Uh, and I think uh, that's something I I've gotten better at and I had to learn, uh, especially over that first year of me coaching. Yeah, that's a great point too. You know, and it's the same kind of with with me being a dad and having young kids, and 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 thankfully I don't have teenagers yet, but. You know, kid, they, your, your kids, your players have plenty of buddies. They got plenty of friends. They don't need a buddy. They need a coach, you know, and that doesn't mean you can't joke with them or be cool with them, but you, you're right. There def, definitely has to be that line there that's that's established that, hey, 
at the end of the day, you're the player, I'm the coach. Let's let's make sure we got that clear. But that doesn't mean you can't come kick it in the office sometime, or we can't talk about you know uh, the college football games that that we saw on Saturday, or talk about hunting and fishing, you know, uh, before practice or no something. Doubt. Um, so, all right, I want to transition to this and talk about this because I thought this was interesting when we were talking uh, leading up to this this interview. You know that that um, you uh, started something up during the quarantine that I thought was pretty cool, and so I want to give you a chance to talk about that. And that's just training defensive linemen. And so I want to just open it up and let you talk about that and how that got started. So tell us, you know, what you're doing with that and and how and how you got that idea. Um, so, so like I kind of touched on when we talked about it just a little bit, um, quarantine happened to everybody, COVID happened and it, it kind of hit. Um, and I had two guys that had signed, I had one, one kid last year, a senior that signed with Mississippi College, was a D2 in Mississippi, Clem, Mississippi. And like I said, I had another kid that signed with the Naval Academy. Um, so they were prepping the grid to go, you know, start their, um, start their freshman summer. And I know it's a little different for them now. They didn't get a real true summer as a freshman into the program. Um, but we just started training. So I started training them. And then they posted it a little bit. And then some of the the bigger name high school kids, you know, in, in Birmingham area kind of reached out. I was like, hey, Coach, you mind if I come do a session? And I didn't mind. I wasn't charging anything. Like, it was out of my heart. And how I kind of took it um, – I started training some some of my former teammates at UAB as well. They were like, man, you just need to maybe you need to put a name on it. Maybe you need to make your own brand. And they just kind of convinced me because I didn't want to. Because in my head, I'm like, I don't want to be a personal trainer for the rest of my life. I want to be a football coach. Uh, I'm kind of just doing this to kind of help some guys out that I care about. Um, and also, iron shopping iron. I kind of use that that phrase in my defensive line all the time. I feel like those kids were making me better as a coach, and I was making them better as a player. So I think we were both getting something out of it. Man, that's kind of how I started, man. So I, I, I thought about it. It's like, man, just, we in the trenches, man. So just call it trench mob training. So I said TMT, man. Uh, so that's kind of that's kind of how I came up with it. Um, and I've been doing that uh, probably since, you know, like February or so. And it and it's grown. It grew faster than I expected. Not, I'm not gonna say more than I wanted to too, but it it grew fast and really fast. Um, and I, I'm training. Kids from all group levels, uh, age levels, excuse me, uh, from like little league, middle school. Um, like I said, I did some college guys I played with, and even some that wanted to play pro, they even came back to Birmingham and got a few sessions in there with me. Uh, so, like I said, it's grown tremendously, and I've used it as a tool personally just to be, uh, I think, to be a better coach. Because I learned something new from every kid, every every session, a different kid needs different coaching on the stance. Or he needs help in the run field. So he need he needs help in the pass rush. Uh, so like I said, iron shot and iron. I think Dave's made me a better coach, and I'm I'm striving to make these guys better players. What types of uh, of things do you guys train specifically? Like, are you like is it by a, you know player by player basis? You know what what skills are you focusing on? Uh, so with me, I kind of go uh, the first session. I'm always looking at stance. Ball get off, you know, you got to stop the run before you can rush the passer. Um, so we kind of harp on that the first session. If it's, if it's a kid that's more advanced, a full guy, you know, I kind of tailor it to them. Or a college guy, you know, hey, coach, I struggled with uh, reach blocks last year, man. I'm trying to get better at that. Or I, I, I'm moving from um, a three-down line, a three-down front, or high-man front, excuse me. 
uh, to even from I'm changing positions. Like, how do I play the four I now um, or the three technique compared to there or the five technique? And coach got me doing this or that. So I kind of tailor it to the kid and the situation in some instances. Uh, right now in season, if I do train the kids usually on the weekend, it's kind of game correction for them. I kind of ask them what did they see last week, what are they going to see next week. Uh, hey, we're playing a more run rundown team, coach. All right, so we'll we'll work on our strike, working on our hand placement, working on locking out um, the offense alignment. Whereas you might play a team, I might throw it 40, 50 times a game. Hey, hey coach, you gonna can you help me with my ball to get out? Um, I need a, a a better move if the alignment gives me vertical or horizontal shoulder. So it, those are just an example. So I kind of tailor it in season or for guys that are more advanced, but for my younger crowd or kids that just don't know what's kind of going on. I get a lot of kids that really just don't know how to play defensive line. I start from the ground up with a stance and striking, stopping the run, and then we'll just slowly, slowly progress, like I said, in, in, in increments and, and different steps to get them to the end goal. What are some of your favorite drills that you like to incorporate in your in your sessions? Uh, I think my favorite drill, we call it the COD, which is change of direction. A, a lot of guys do it. Um, just basically a ball get off. You can either get a um, a left or a right hand direction, and uh, or a draw or a pass. And I think it just works on reaction. Um, something I implement with my guys now, um, as far as run stopping. I know uh, as a player, I used to try to take a step, then shoot my hand. And I'm studying these these pro guys, so they're the best to do it. Um, I'm studying them, and I see a lot of them focusing on. Hips and hands, hips and hands. That's like that's the terminology I kind of use for my guys. If I can knock this guy back, I have control of him from the get go. Uh, so that's that's another drill we like to do: hips and hands, just working on explosion, uh, explosion. Excuse me. Uh, I think that's the main key for a D lineman. If a guy can use his hand, he's explosive with his hips. Uh, that's not too much he can't do. Um, and I'm a pass rush guy at heart. Um, I love to get creative with the pass rush. So if I got a kid that's, that's kind of advanced or is willing, to, you know, to work on his craft as a pass rusher, um, I think I, I I love to do that. I love to just kind of pick their brain and just show them how creative you actually can be with different counters, but also also how simple you can be. Uh, I tell my kids all the time, like it looks like they're doing all these exotic moves, but they're basing it off of maybe two or three base moves. All they're doing is, is countering. It's a reaction. You're reacting off of what the offensive lineman gives you. Uh, one of my old coaches say, see a, see a little, see a lot, see a lot, see nothing. If you're looking at too much, uh, you won't ever get the picture. But if you focus on your keys, whatever, your coach, your specific coach is telling you to read in the past that um, it leads you to success. So uh, those are just some different drills. I, I have so many, man. I just, um, I, like I said, I'm, I'm more of a pass rush guy. But like you said, you can't get to that um, unless you stop the run first. So we kind of do a lot of run drills first, and then, like I said, I love to get creative with the pass rush. Yeah, I always, uh, whenever I have like a block of indie periods, and and I know we're gonna work pass rush that day, I always save that for the end. Like I'm, I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is the dessert. 
right? Like we got to eat our vegetables first, you know, and, and, and doing our, our, our run block recognitions or doing, you know, whatever, whatever we're going to see a lot of what schemes, wherever we're going to see that week, you know, we're going to hit that stuff first and make sure we hit it. And we're not going to move on to the, the pass rush. stuff. like I said, say that at the end. And if we have enough no, time, I, I started doing that myself. That's yeah. crazy. I just, yeah. this year I started putting it at the end. Maybe yeah. before we go to, we call it bullet, but it's really one-on-one, five-on-five. Yeah. And I started putting it at the end, just kind of harping on and hitting it right before we go there to some, some type of competition, man. So, yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. And, and because, because and, I'm the same way. Like I love coaching pass rush, and the kids love doing it. Like we all love doing it. It's it's awesome. It's fun. I mean, I could just go out there and do it all day. You know, like. Right. And, and so for me, like to, to discipline myself, I, I'm like, man, I got to put this at the end because if I put it at the at the beginning, I'm gonna let that eat over into my other time that I had allotted for you know maybe some steer drill or some you know working spill technique or whatever whatever we're gonna do that week. And uh, so that's that's uh, that's a, that's that's a, a tempting thing. And I think though that when you set it up like that, kind of like what you're doing, you start off doing your run stuff, and then you get to pass rush. I think that that instills in their mind, like, hey, before we can be great pass rushers, we have to stop the run first, and that no kind of that kind of no harps doubt. that that you know that uh, thought process into their into their minds. So I'm I'm just curious, what's your ultimate goal when it comes to this training business? Is that something you're going to continue into this next off season? What's that going to look like? Uh, I think so. Um, like I said, it's more of an off season off season thing because my main purpose purpose, excuse me, um. It's not the money or or the fame or the glory to say, hey, I train with so and so. It's genuinely to get better as a coach, and just like I said, different kids, different age levels, different different abilities has I think sharpened me as a coach. Specifically, just learning how to be more uh, more more open uh, to and more patient to teach this kid. Maybe this kid doesn't have a good stunt, or this kid uh, has bad hand placement. Um, and you just see so many different, so many different things, and I, I think that, like I said, that has made me a better coach. But ultimately, I don't want to be a, like I said earlier, I don't want to be a, yeah. a professional trainer. At least right now, right now, I don't see myself doing it uh, for the rest of my life. But I would love to continue this. And meanwhile, uh, I'm coaching high school, and, and hopefully one day I'll be on the, the collegiate level. Uh, but until then, I think I'll just keep it going because uh, I think it's a good thing. Um, yeah, I, I I I prayed about it. It was something that God told me, you know, to that I think you should do, and I haven't uh, had second thoughts about it since. So. Well, you know, I think anything that you can do, especially in the off season, just to keep your edge sharp, you know, like. Uh, most of us, if we're high school coaches, like we're coaching something else in the spring, but it's not football. And I know like we get to like May or or something like that. Typically, like it's kind of hard, like for me to remember all the things we did during the fall and like what we called stuff and how I maybe Mm -hmm. coached something up. Like I have to go back and look at my notes from that season or whatever. So I think, you know, doing something like that is, is, as much about you you know, as, as selfish as it sounds, like the benefit that you're getting out of it and, you know, just honing your, your skills as a coach year around as opposed to just, you know, half the year. Uh, I think that's a huge benefit. And frankly, that's that's uh, a big reason why I'm doing this podcast is to, you know, right, constantly, right. constantly be engaging coaches and talking football and, and having to keep myself sharp even, you know, in the offseason. So I think that's great. Uh, you know, what advice would you give to coaches out there who maybe thought about doing something similar to what you're doing? Uh. I kind of say, once again, just pray about it. It's how you, you know, make sure you're in it for the right reason. Um, here in the Birmingham area, and not talking down on anybody that's any training, because I have friends that do training, but 
you you get some guys that do it for the money and not the kids. I mean, I'm more in it for, like you said, not specifically speaking, me being better as a coach, but also for the kids, man. I I I thoroughly enjoy, you know, just seeing kids coming to me maybe on a Saturday and they got a a a a, a JV or a night grade game on that Monday or Tuesday. Uh, hey, coach, they see me, their fan. Uh, hey, coach, man, look at me. I use the the top rip and I got a sack. Man, that brings some type of joy, you know, is unexplainable to my heart just to see them actually see the see put the work in and then see the product. Cause a lot of kids need to see that. Yeah. They don't trust it until it actually happens. I was the same way. Um, I was like, man, this move is not working. It's not working. But all in all, I was just setting them up for success, man. So just to see kids to see with it uh, brings a joy to my heart. So if a coach out there is really thinking about doing it, um, it takes dedication. It takes time. Uh, you do have to have a passion. You have to have patience. Uh, so I think if you have all those and you feel like that's the right move, I say go for it, man. Well, Coach, great stuff, and we're going to actually close out today with a brand new segment I'm trying on you, and uh, I kind of like doing different things at the end, sort of keep it fresh and and keep it interesting. So with Halloween uh, being right around the corner, we're going to do sort of some Halloween-themed questions here, some having to do with football, some not so much. Um, but okay. and, and And look, I've, I've been accused of being kind of cheesy before, and that's fine. I'm cool with that. I own it. I wear it. So uh, <laughs> I apologize if some of these are a little bit cheesy. But anyway, Halloween-themed questions for you. What do you think, Coach? You ready to go? Let's go, man. All right, all right. Here we go. Uh, so first one, all right, we're talking about, you know, it's Halloween time of year. Everyone's, uh, you know, got – you know, scary movies and, and scary costumes on the mind. What I want to know is what was your, or what is your, or what has been your, what has been your scariest moment on a football field, either as a player or a coach? Ooh, okay. Scariest moment. Um, I would say as a player first, and I don't know, this kind of goes into that category. It was an injury, man. It was a scary injury. I was in junior college. Uh, I had a teammate that actually, uh, broke his fibula and tibula at the same time. And what made it so scary was we, we both hit the guy at the same time, and unfortunately he got hurt, and there's a team was running hurry up. So he's, he's on the turf, and I'm like, come on, man, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I look down, man, and like I can just see his leg. And I that, like, it, it shocked me. It scared me to death. Um, and I'm signaling for the medical unit, and, like, that probably was the scariest thing I had ever seen live. You, know, yeah. you see those freak injuries on on live TV all the time, and you kind of ooh, you, you grimacing, you know. But to see it literally in arms reach of the guy and see that that probably was the scariest moment um, in my playing career, probably as a player and a coach. Okay, all right. Now I don't know if you were a big, uh, uh, you know, as a kid or maybe even now as an adult, you get into the Halloween costumes. But uh, if you did, favorite Halloween costume ever? What you got? Man, I celebrated Halloween as a kid. <laughs> I was big on uh, on costumes, man. I think uh, Power Rangers was probably my oh, favorite. That's a solid. Uh, I was a big Power. Yeah, I was a big Power Ranger fan uh, when I was younger. Uh, so I, I probably had like two or three of those. Uh, that'll probably be my my best uh, Halloween costume. Yeah, that's that's a solid choice. Solid choice. We uh, 
we had a little uh, like a fall festival thing tonight, and and my son was was want to dress up as Batman, so he had his Batman costume. So I, I was he can't cool. Go wrong with yeah, that. I was cool. That's a solid choice. Uh, one of my favorite ones growing up was a, was Ninja Turtles. That was always kind of the direction I would take. Sometimes that or a football player. Surprise, surprise. But yeah, uh, Power, Power Rangers, player. solid choice. Okay. <laughs> All right, so this is one of my favorite times of year because I get to raid my kids' uh, candy basket uh, when they go to bed uh, and, and pick out the stuff that I like. What's your favorite Halloween candy? Oh, man. Probably anything that's chocolate. Uh, I'm, yeah. a, I'm, a, I'm a Twix um, and Reese's. Uh, Snigger, it's kinda, it just kind of goes with my taste buds are going for. I got uh, you. Four, excuse me. Um, so I, I kind of pick between those. Anything chocolate is, is a go for me, yeah. Halloween candy. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So no candy corns for you then? Now, I, I ate it when I was younger, but I wasn't uh, crazy over it. Yeah, you know, I yeah. eat it, but I'm not, I'm not crazy over it. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. A, that's, that's a no for me, too. I, that's, those are wasted calories, and, and uh, that's, just, that's just wasted you know, uh, stomach space or something. So I, I usually, yeah, I usually no stay away I'm, from I'm the candy, away, yeah, candy corns. Okay, uh, favorite scary movie? Uh, I would say like Wrong Turn. Wrong Turn would probably uh, be my yeah. my favorite. Okay. Film okay. Movie. All right. All right. I'm now, not a big scary movie guy. Yeah, uh, I'm not so either. Like, I don't. I don't watch me. I don't watch many. Um, but I remember watching those like when I was a little young, younger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of kind of scary. Yeah, I'm not either. I, I'm not a big like slasher movie, you know. Like I, I mean, I, it's not that I, don't, I just don't really get into them. They're just not really my thing. Yeah, but. I'm not scared. I'm not scared now. I was when I was younger, but yeah. it don't scare me. I'm just not a big fan. Yeah, no, I, I got you. I got you. Okay. Uh, speaking of scary, uh, who who would you say is the scariest D lineman in the NFL today? And if we want to, we we can. If you want to extend it to someone who's already retired, so maybe someone who used to play, you can go there as well. But scariest D line in the NFL? Scariest D lineman. Ooh, man, I, I have I have to go Aaron Donald. Yeah, Aaron Donald. Yeah. I'm gonna go new school and old school. Um, Aaron Donald, new school, but just just because of his size and explosiveness, like that, it's scary just to see how he plays the game. Uh, but old school, I have two two guys, and they're my two favorite players of all time. Uh, I used to wear one one of their numbers is Lawrence Taylor yeah. uh, for the Giants, and then of course everybody knows Reggie White. That was, I'm an Eagles yeah. fan, so he played with the Eagles and and the Packers. Um, I think those two were some of the scariest D linemen, especially LT man. I used to wear super cheeks when I was in Tiwi man, and they started giving me the nickname uh, LT because I, I had so many big hits. Yeah, you know, I was so much bigger. I was I was so big at a young age, man. So I would say Aaron Donald for new school, I and mean, then just retired players uh, like I said. Uh, Reggie White and, and Lawrence Taylor. Solid choices there with the uh, the Minister of Defense and Reggie White, and then and then LT Lawrence Taylor. Uh, I remember reading a book on Lawrence Taylor. I don't know several years ago, and just talking about how all, all the quarterbacks that he was playing against, where it was like you know, uh, oh I, I don't even remember. You know, obviously Joe Theismann, he ended his career, but you know, those guys would come up to the line of scrimmage and they're hollering out, "Where's LT? Where's LT?" Because he'd roam around and. And, uh, um, you know, yeah, definitely, definitely scary player. Okay. Uh, you know, this is something – let's talk Halloween activities now, okay? Uh, what, what are you more likely or what would you rather do, go to a haunted house 
uh, like go through one of those haunted house type things that they have uh, or corn maze? Uh, I would go haunted house. Man, I had a I had, I had a cornfield or two cornfields <laughs> like literally right by my house. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm used to running through those and all that. Like as a kid, and the nighttime just bored doing something. So uh, for me, I think I've been to a hundred house maybe once or twice. So I'll probably go hundred. I actually plan on going to one here soon. They have a few here in Birmingham. It's, it's pretty popular. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would say I would choose Hunter House. Yeah, that's funny. Corn maze, kind of, that's just like walking around in the backyard for you guys. I mean, you yeah, know, that's, Miss, that's Mississippi that's boys, that's just, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's now we're, we're going to kind of get into the trick-or-treat part of the of these questions. Two questions left. Uh, favorite football trick play? Ooh, favorite trick play. Oh, man, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. We played, I played UAB, which is the USA, so we played North Texas, and we were prepping for them in 18, and they ran the uh, the guy, it was a punt, and I guess Arkansas, they were playing Arkansas, and they knocked him off that year. Uh, they thought he fair catched it, and I don't know if it was by design, where it is, it was by design, but he did some type of arm motion that, that made him think he, he had fair catch it, and he grabbed it and just took off. Like gradually walking through the sound like he's gonna hand the rest of the ball and take off and actually score the touchdown. Wow. Uh, and I also saw I saw them lay somebody in the back of the end zone to kick off a turn. Yeah, yep. So you know you didn't yeah. know it was better. So that's that's another one that was that, that was effective. Uh, uh, it's gutsy, but it was effective. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no doubt. Okay, last one. The best treat. So we had the best football trick play or favorite football trick play. Now, best treat you've ever gotten from football in terms of like uh, we're not talking about a snow cone after the game, anything like that, but like you know, an award, <laughs> recognition, championship, something like that from the game of football. Uh, I would say ultimately the, the biggest one that I'm, I'm most uh, proud of. Well, I have two. High school. Uh, I come from from a town where it's more of a basketball school, so the football team is kind of put on the back burner. But my senior year, we were a top 10 defense, one through 6A in the whole state of Mississippi. Um, and we went 10 and 2 with the first school, the first uh, district championship in school history. And um, that's something I took pride, pride in. It's on my Letterman jacket from my senior year. Uh, so that's something I really take pride in because we, we grinded from seventh grade as always to 12th grade. Um, and we didn't reach the state championship, which was our ultimate goal. Uh, but we made school history that uh, that might take some time to uh, to uh, happen again, you know. Um, yeah. And I would say, secondly, we'll probably be at UAB uh, as far as awards. Man, winning that conference USA championship, my first real championship ring. Um, man, I I had that thing still in the case. Still shine it up. It was a gold ring, man. I was so proud when we got those in. We were getting fitted for them, and when they finally came in to wear it, man, we take so much. I took so much pride in that ring and that season and my career there. It was just a lot that went into it. Um, a lot of emotion, uh, a lot of dedication uh, went into that ring and into that team and to that season. Uh, so I would say those two uh, would be uh, my biggest treat, man. 
Well, that's awesome. And anytime you can win a championship, it's you know it's it's uh, it's it's a great thing. And and it, like you said, it's it's about just the the memories and and the the guys that you that you won that with. And 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 that's an awesome thing for sure. Well, coach. Uh, great stuff today. Thank you so much for coming by and talking with us. Uh, I want to wish you guys the best of luck this season. Hopefully you can you know, get your full season in. And uh, and, and, and just want to uh, thank you for, for coming by and stop, stop by and talking with us today. Uh, no doubt, man. We're getting ready to uh, hit this playoff run. We got one more game next week, and then we're hosting the first round. We actually won our region last Friday, man, so we locked in the first round at home. Uh, like I said, hopefully we can just make a run. I, I appreciate you uh, bringing me out to uh, – KYPD, man, it's an honor. Thanks so much to Coach Williams for joining us today and for talking with us. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Coach Z Williams and let him know you heard him here on KYPD. And if you want more information on Coach's Trench Mob Training, then you can give that Twitter page a follow as well. You can find that at TMT Pass Rush. I love the insight Coach had to offer, especially when it comes to mentoring players you know, who are evaluating their options when it comes to playing at the next level. I think that's a really important role for a coach, and I thought Coach had a, had a lot of great things to say about that process. And again, just appreciate him joining us today. Now, our quote of the day provided to us by Coach Williams is this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That's from Proverbs chapter 27 verse 17. And that will do it for us today on this episode of KYPD, but have no fear. We'll be back right here next week for episode 84, where we sit down with an FCS D-line coach to talk some more D-line play. So if you're liking what you're hearing, subscribe now. Leave us a five-star rating and a review and tell all your fellow D-line coaches or your dorky O-line coach friends who want to learn more about the dark side all about us. Until then, go get after it this week. Coach your guys hard and love them harder. And Coach Williams, what else do these guys need to do? KYPD, keep your tags down.